Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by CurusFC.com and Roughneck Scarves. And this is a big one, guys. 300. This is episode number 300. Um, I can't believe I've been doing this this long. I started this podcast. Uh, it was February 2014, just a few months before the Houston Dash played their first game. That's kind of what got me going, being a native Houstonian, my hometown finally getting a team. Uh, it wasn't even called the Mix Zone the first season, or the first year <laughs> that I did this podcast, but it goes all the way back to February 2014, and now it's been 300 episodes. So really, there's only one person uh, that we can can honor with that number. Well, I guess there's two technically, but say we'll, we'll say Christine Lilly. She was the first person in international soccer to play 300 games. She reached game number 300 in October 2005, 2005 in a game versus Australia. Though, if you check Wikipedia, it'll tell you January 2006. That's because at the time there were two caps from 1995 that had not yet been added to her total, which is a whole other story. Anywho, she was the first male, female, non-binary, however you want to slice it. She was the first. Um, And of course, her teammate, Christy Rampone, was the second. Rampone reaching the three-century milestone in October 2014 during Women's World Cup qualifying. No one else in the world has yet reached 300 caps. And only Christine Lilly has notched 300 starts. Actually, like 342 starts. It's insane. Anyway, props to Christine Lilly. Props to everyone who's been listening to this podcast, especially those that can say they've been listening since 2014. So since this is episode number 300, got to have three chats, right? So first chat with my friend Julia Poe, who covers the Orlando Pride for the Orlando Sentinel. She does such a great job. We had a fun chat just kind of getting caught up with all the new signings that Orlando has They sent a lot of people out on loan, mostly because they did not have the opportunity to play the Challenge Cup. So I love that they got a young crew in of what could very much be the Orlando Pride of the future. We talk a little bit about the loans and also a little bit about Alex Morgan. Um, And then I spoke with Jonathan Tannenwald of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, JT, he had the, the luxury, let's say, of breaking the news about Kristen Press and Tobin Heath signing with Manchester United. Um, so we talk about, or rather we argue about what those signings, what those transfers mean for future of US Women's National Team, future of NWSL. We get off on all kinds of fun, woe-so tangents. And of course, speaking of tangents, I had to finish up my episode number 300 with my my favorite Woso buddy, Dan LaLud of The Equalizer. He and I go way back talking Woso, and frankly, nobody goes further back in Woso than Dan in terms of covering the sport in this country. The only person who has attended every single WSA, WPS, and NWSL final um, that's been held in the game. So we talked mostly about fall series and what what NWSL can do coming off of this series, what it possibly means for the draft. Again, we get off onto tangents. I hope you enjoy those tangents. And of course, there's a Jen's Planer segment in here with the tiebreaker details for the NWSL Fall Series, aka how do you figure out who's the winner of the Verizon, Verizon Community Shield. So lots for you to listen to. Hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone and at Keeper Notes. Don't forget there's two X's in MixZone. 
And there you go. Enjoy. All right, Jen Cooper with Julia Poe, Orlando Pride beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel. Julia, how excited are you that Orlando is going to play a game this weekend? First time in what, think, 11 months? I don't think there's even words for it. Like, I am so excited. Obviously, I've been covering Orlando City, and every time I've been at the stadium, we've all just been looking at each other and being like, how many days left till the Pride are back? Um, I, 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 there's really not words. I'm so excited for them to be back. And I've been working on, uh, you know, the broadcast notes for this weekend, and it's been really fascinating, uh, you know, learning about the players signed to short term contracts for them, you know, just for the just for the fall series, some of whom's names I had heard before, and and some I haven't, but it's always fun to do a deep dive. And, you know, I I said this on on the two games that I called last weekend, and, you know, I'm going to keep saying it throughout the series, like, this is an incredible opportunity for anybody who's playing in the fall series, whether where they're on the short term contract or not. You know, like you're trying out for a possible contract for 2021, or you know Christy Holly is is watching, you know, for expansion for Louisville. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we know there will be, you know, with the Olympics next year, national team replacement contracts, you know, and we know past 2021, we also have expansion for 2022, one team, likely two teams, you know, like, I feel like this fall slate is so hugely important for that. And it's hard, I think, as, as fans to keep that in mind when, what we're also seeing, right, is is a lot of players going on loan. And we've never had this kind of situation before where players have been able to go on loan. Um, and so many go on loan. But but it's actually, I, I feel like it's also, as weird as this year, year is because of COVID, this is also like our graduation, you know, any results coming out of middle school, maybe we're getting into high school, right? And And, and we're like... Okay, now now we get to do these other things, you know. Um, but from your perspective, covering Orlando Pride, and you know, I would say easily without without counting, probably the, the, the highest number of, of players going on loan, mostly because of not being able to play in Challenge Cup. But tell me, tell me about it from the Orlando Pride fan slash reporter perspective. Definitely. I mean, it's it definitely is the highest number. Uh, there are 13 Orlando Pride players that are either out on loan or they're allocated players who took a short-term contract somewhere else. So, I mean, that's a lot. And it's a lot of really recognizable names, whether that's, you know, rookies like Taylor Korniak or whether that's, you know, your Alex Morgan, Emily Sonnet, all of those big name players. So I think that there was a lot of panic initially. And the Pride have done a really good job, in my opinion, of kind of laying out exactly what their plan is. They didn't get a challenge cup. They need these players to get minutes. And um, I think a lot of people aren't really aware that coach Mark Skinner, BP, uh, Amanda Duffy, they were the two people that were initiating a lot of these loans. They were looking at teams in Europe, in Brazil, and trying to find the best placements for their players in terms of, you know, where they'd be happy. And then also where they would get a lot of really good minutes at a position that's going to be really comparable to what they're going to be playing when they come back to Orlando. So, you know, there, there's a method behind what definitely looks like madness. And uh, personally, as a beat reporter talking with them, I think 
you know, it, it's a crazy plan, but it's, it's pretty much the best thing that they can do with the situation that they have, where they have these four kind of ex- exhibition games, and that's all they get until next year. So I think, you know, it's a good it's as good of a process as they could put together. And they're going to be watching a lot of film on the players that are abroad. And then for the players here, like you said, these four games are going to be huge, especially for these short-term contract players who are basically trying out to be in the league. They're, they're trying out, like you said, for either this expansion draft or possibly for a spot in either the Orlando pride lineup or in their pool of players for national team replacements. Cause that's been a huge target this year for the pride is bulking up the players that they have on reserve for when they're, I believe 12 national team players go out for something like the Olympics or another international window. Yeah. They're really looking at this. Um, they're looking at the long game, you know, and, and, and that's really smart. And, and that's something where, you know, again, to use my analogy of, you know, we're kind of graduating into high school, you know, that it's, it's no longer about just like this moment, this short part of the season, this season, this week, it's, you know, you, you got to think long game, um, especially with how quickly, the you know women's soccer worldwide is growing changing you know there's more opportunities there are different opportunities um and i think it can be confusing um for any fan following it's like wait why is this player leaving and what does that mean and understanding that the bulk of movement um currently out of NWSL is just loans and that's not something mm-hmm. that you see in American sports right so it's like right. wait she left it's like it's like nah she's just taking a short trip to Europe and she'll be back at the end of the year you know um you know the only exception to that for the Orlando movements is possibly Alex Morgan. I mean, I've read different things that she has an opportunity to stay longer with Tottenham, but right now the plan is that she'd return in, in January. But, but what have you heard about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the language that um, has been used with Tottenham for all three of the Orlando Pride players that they currently have, because they also picked up Shalina Zdorsky and Alana Kennedy, uh, they always use that wording of, you know, there's this option to extend. And then the Pride have always made it clear that they, you know, really care about having these three players um, and, and hope to return them back here. So I definitely think, I mean, by the language of their contract, yes, those contracts and those loans do expire with an option to buy for Kennedy or um, just as far as allocated contracts go, they get to renegotiate them every year for Zdorsky and Morgan. So all three of those players technically could stay in England for next year if they wanted to. But I do think that those are three of the players who have some of the longest history here in Orlando and have been trying to build something here in Orlando. Uh, Zdorsky, especially um, when she posted on social media after making the move, knowing that she might not be brought back here. She posted a very like heartfelt goodbye um, and made it clear that, you know, she cares a lot about the club. So there's a possibility, but I think it goes for both sides of the pride have to look at what's going to be best for them moving forward. And they had an incredible roster put together for this year. I mean, let me tell you, that team would have done some things in the challenge cup. It was, they were going to be, very fun to watch. Um, and now 
I think there's a lot of weight being put into, okay, do we hold on to that roster and kind of the dreams of what could have been, or do we start kind of building for something new? So uh, kind of a long answer to that, but basically I think that there's the option for all three of them to do, to, to come back or to go. It's just going to come down to what's best for both sides. And it's important to note the difference, like you did, that Alex Morgan, Shalina Zadorsky, as, you know, allocated players, Federation players, however you want to call it, that, uh, you know, they're in a different situation than Alana Kennedy, who was signed outright by Orlando, you know, and Orlando, I think, with Kennedy's situation would have more power to call her back from Tottenham, right? Where Alex Morgan, her contract is with U.S. Soccer, you know, she's not technically contractually obligated to to Orlando. Um, I'm not exactly, exactly sure how it works for the Canadians. Um, you know, at least I know with the Canadians in Houston that it seems like their contracts are directly with Houston and then Canada, like, pays as opposed to U.S. soccer. We know their contracts are, you know, with, with U.S. soccer. But you're so right about how how strong this Orlando roster was. I mean, signing Allie Riley, Aaron McLeod, Jade Moore, you'd picked up Emily Sonnet in a trade, you know, getting Taylor, Taylor Korniak in the, in the first round. And, and it's funny because Allie Riley was, I think, the very first player to announce a loan. I think that was like maybe right before Mm-hmm. Um, Challenge Cup started and of course she was going back to her Swedish club and, and Sweden's on a different schedule than obviously England doing the fall spring thing which is why like the last three weeks we had the flurry of loans because it was you know based on the more traditional European calendar but I remember when I when I heard about that I was like okay and then it kind of hit me it's like well it makes sense if Orlando Pride's not going to get the Challenge Cup games these players need to play, right? Anyone who has any shot at being on their national team, whether it's for Olympics, Euro qualifying, whatever, well, they need to be playing, right? right you right. know, um, and and I, I love that Taylor Korniak as, as, as a rookie, you know, got the gig with Duisburg in, in Germany, right? Like that's, that's huge experience. Um, and then, you, you know, you also have to think about travel like you know say with like Rachel Daly for Houston well knowing that she was going to get called up by England well she really should just be then playing somewhere in England so she's not traveling back Mm -hmm. and forth right because then you've got quarantine issues so it's just it's such a bizarrely complicated time um but at the same time loans in in soccer or or football are actually a really normal thing we just haven't experienced them from an nwsl perspective exactly exactly and there was a lot of like i said before there was so much thought put into it from the pride side that you might not necessarily see with loans in a different year where normally it would be a player's agent that was seeking it out or an opposite club this was one of those things where basically all 13 of them were coming internally as well as externally like obviously there was that external interest but internally it was being driven by the pride saying okay we need to get you all out and get you guys on a pitch somewhere literally don't care where it is we just need you to get you on the pitch well so let's flip to the players that we will see this weekend when orlando plays their first game in basically 11 months and they get to play it on national tv um mm-hmm. national broadcast tv um and so i want to talk 
primarily about the seven players that have been signed for short-term contracts, basically for the full series. Um, some of whom have been in NWSL before, um, mostly they haven't, but, but let's start, let's start with the Jamaican. Cause it's, it's kind of nice that Kanye Plummer gets a, gets a teammate, gets a, mm-hmm. a reggae girls teammate, uh, Denisha Blackwood. Um, what can you tell me about Denisha? Well, you mentioned Kanye Plummer. This is like half the short-term contracts are, it's like, what what's the, uh, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. That's what it's like, except with Kanye. She's, she's played with half of these women either at UCF or on the Jamaican national team. And I think bringing in Denisha, not just as a Jamaican national team player, but also as a local Floridian player, she played college here at, I believe West Florida. I think that that just really reflects, it it really reflects kind of what uh, Mark Skinner is kind of looking to build um, in terms of, these players that really could flourish with the opportunity of being brought into that pool. And I mean, I personally think that a lot of these players that are being brought in could excel on just a regular NWSL roster. And I think Denisha is one of them. I'm so excited to see her play. Um, And that was one of those names that I think, uh, you know, people might not recognize it right off the bat, but they'll, they'll be excited by her if she, if she gets some meaningful minutes uh, in these upcoming four games. Well, and, and I had already seen in, in general with Mark Skinner's roster that he was pulling local players, you know, um, but, but you do see it, like you said, even more in, in this group. It's it's like it's a lot of Floridians and that's a great way, I think, to build a club long term. We, we've seen it in Chicago with Rory Dames, you know, drafting a lot of local players, sticking with the players that you know that even if they can't earn uh, a senior contract right off, that they know that there's opportunities down the line. And, and, and like we already mentioned that, you know, knowing you've got another 26 contracts coming about next year and the year after possibly 52, right? Like mm-hmm. this, this is the time that it, that it's worth sticking around and, and getting that part-time contract and making your name known. Um, and, you know, and, and like you said, there are some of these players that we probably could have seen if there were a normal season. I know um, Zandi Saray uh, was mm-hmm. part of Houston's preseason in March before the preseason players got let go. You know, Ali Haran was on uh, North Carolina's roster, then Houston's last summer. And, you know, she got waived right before the, the Challenge Cup. Uh, but let's so let's let's talk about. um Let's actually talk about Ali Haran and Kate Howarth because those are the two players of Orlando 7 that have been on NWSL rosters before. Now, Haran has never um, earned NWSL minutes in her, in her last two seasons. Uh, but Kate Howarth, this story I love, she mm-hmm. played four games for the Boston Breakers in 2013 and then was waived by the club. But she's continued playing this whole time for the New England Mutiny. Um, which was WPSL and now is UWS. And she was UWS player of the year last year for the mutiny. Mm-hmm. I, I love this story. So, so tell me about Kate and, and also what you know about Allie. Well, what's really cool about Kate especially is that she's been here trying to get this spot on this team since the first preseason. So we are currently in preseason number three for the pride, um, bless their hearts. Um, but <laughs> 
Back all the way in February, early March, uh, before the shutdown, Kate was part of, she was one of the non-roster invitees who was invited in uh, to originally try out and train uh, with the team for the preseason. And we've seen some success with other non-rostered invitees like Brittany Wilson, who have gotten, you know, full contracts with the team. So she she had that shot. She had the potential, um, especially with the Pride's uh, striker unit being kind of small. Uh, she, you know, really had a good shot at that at the beginning. And like you said, I, she just has the coolest story. She's been working as a firefighter for the last few years um, on top of, you know, playing soccer and uh, I, I just am really excited to see players like that who I think in the early days of the NWSL, it was really easy for talent to kind of slip through the cracks. And right. I think it still is. I think that that's why we need expansion because there's there's more talent than we have teams to field. Um, and so it makes me really excited to see players like that getting this shot. And, you know, a lot of times if a player is signed to a contract like Kate or like Ali you know, they, they might get to train with the team, but they're never going to get meaningful minutes. Um, you know, this this is going to be a trial by fire for them because they're going to get tossed right in there and they're going to be alongside, you know, Sydney LaRue and Marta. And they're going to be looking at them and being like, you have to create because we have 19 players. So pretty much everyone on the roster is going to get a, a big, important moment in the spotlight uh, to kind of show what they're worth. So I'm I'm really excited for them. I know how hard uh, Kate especially has been working throughout this entire year to make this happen. So um, I think that they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to hopefully be able to kind of stand that test because it's going to be a tough one. I mean, North Carolina and Houston are no slouches to have to go up against in your kind of first trial in the league in a while. Well, and I love that Kate, when she played with Boston, she was playing with Sydney LaRue and Julie King you know, who mm-hmm. are now on Orlando. So, you know, everybody knows everybody. Uh, you know, it's still soccer, still such a, a small world, but I, I love those connections. And, and I love that a player like that has, has stuck around um, because there are more opportunities coming down the line. And that's what I love about the, this fall series and the opportunity that players being on loan gives players like Kate you know, like Denisha, you know, and, and Ali Haran, who, you know, drafted in 2018 has been part of, you know, a couple of different rosters, but just hasn't seen any minutes, you know, obviously if you're making these rosters, you're quality, right. But it's, it mm-hmm. is hard to get minutes. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing her get her first NWSL minutes. Um, similarly, Carrie Lawrence, who seems to have been on the fringe of the pride all this year, right? Like signed, mm-hmm. not signed, kind of, you know, just like you said, three preseasons, um, you know, player out of of UCF. And, you know, so can I, I would assume can hang around and train. But but tell me tell me about Carrie and also Jordan Listro, another Florida based player. Well, Zandy, Carrie and Jordan. Tell me about those three, because those are all. Florida college players, right? Definitely, definitely. Well, I think it really reflects the importance, uh, and Mark has talked about this. You know, he comes from coaching uh, at the collegiate level, uh, so he kind of understands the importance of creating a little bit of like a like a pipeline up uh, in some ways. And I think uh, I think that there's a lot of value that can be gained by the pride starting to create these relationships with UCF, especially 
not just the fact that they're in Orlando, but the fact that, you know, I mean, they're, they're coached by a 99er. Tip Sahadak is the head coach at UCF. They have right. the ability to really attract so much talent and potential through. So I think creating some of those relationships with UCF, which they've been working on, and then also with USF, with Florida State, Florida, I mean, there's a crazy amount of talent coming through the state that I think is kind of slipping through the fingers of the pride in terms of creating that. So, you know, seeing some of these players like Carrie, especially Jordan uh, and Zandy, you know, seeing them be able to rise to that occasion and then create, I'll go back to it, that pool of national team replacement players. That's going to be so important for the pride. If they're going to stick with this model of having, you know, anywhere from seven to 13 of their players be actively on a national team roster, they have to have a much stronger and much more well-prepared national team replacement player pool ready to go. Um, And that's something that has just not been quite clicking in the past. And I think that if they really start investing in that, and I know that the club is starting to work on other things like working on an academy and stuff like that, where, um, you know, that youth development focus is really, you know, pushed more to the forefront. I think if they can continue to work on that also in connection with these really talented rosters at local colleges, that's going to be, I mean, that, that could really be the big difference because the pride has never had a hard time in getting these high caliber, big name players on the pitch, but they have struggled to get them all on the pitch at the same time. And we've never really seen what the pride looks like at full strength because just one thing or another has always come up. So I think strengthening kind of that second layer and that underbelly is going to be important. And those three players that you mentioned, uh, they're, I think the type of players that are going to slot in and do well in that, they're really hungry. They're very aware of the situation that they have at hand and kind of the opportunities that they have. And I think that they kind of know the weight of what that means um, and how hard they need to buy in for that. Well, and last player on the the fall contract list is Savannah Uvegas, who doesn't have a direct Florida connection as far as I can tell. She's from Illinois. (laughs) She played at Nebraska. Do you know how she ended up in this pool? Yeah, I mean, so Mark has talked about it a lot, and this kind of goes back to um, what he was working on in preseason number one at the start of the year, is that the Pride really wants to do a better job of talent identification, allocation, and development. Um, And that's why they're currently looking to bring in a kind of general manager under Duffy who would kind of operate as that talent management person. You know, that's someone who's going to be looking, you know, scouting in Europe, scouting in Brazil, scouting also domestically here and trying to bring in the best talent. Um, You can't really ask a coach to do that on his own. Uh, It's just too much to try to handle everything. But Mark was doing that in the offseason, and that's kind of when he first scouted out uh, Savannah and some of these other players. Um, And bringing her in is just kind of the first layer of that. But I think if the Pride follow all the steps that they're trying to follow right now, you're going to see more of that, of some of these names that kind of people might be surprised by because they're trying to invest more in scouting Um, I think that's one of the benefits of having the pride be the way that they are, where they're owned by their MLS counterpart, because Orlando city on the men's side has become very, very good at scouting talent that way. And I think that the front office was able to look at Orlando city and see, Oh man, this is working really well. We've got, 
Ricardo Moreira and Luis Muzi coming out and picking like these little nuggets out and turning them into major players in MLS. Let's turn around and do that in the NWSL. Um, so if they get those pieces in place, I think you're going to see more of that. And Savannah is just kind of like the tip of that iceberg of what they're trying to do with that talent acquisition. Well, and two, um, or rather one other player um, I, I want to highlight. So you've got four draftees signed. Um, mm-hmm. And then Brittany Wilson was not a draftee, but she was signed to be the backup caper for Ashley, Ashlyn mm-hmm. Harris. Tell me, tell me about Brittany. Cause you know, again, she'll be a new name for fans as well. I am really impressed by Brittany from an early, just, just from again, preseason number one. Um, I went out to my first pride training of the year saw her working um, and there was just kind of something about her attitude and her mindset where I like turned to uh, someone on the sideline and asked like, Hey, who is that? What keeper is the goal right now? Um, She just came in and, you know, she was fighting for that number three position because obviously you've got Ashlyn, you've got Aaron, and then they already had a third keeper who was signed on. So she was battling basically to win that position out. And uh, she, she did it. Um, I think, you know, she is another example of someone who they did a good job of positioning someone with a lot of the raw skill set that they want and then putting her in a place where she had to kind of elevate above that to compete and to win out that spot. Um, and by all accounts that I've heard, she's just been like really professional, a hard worker. Um, I think it's hard to tell how good a keeper is going to be just from training. Obviously, there's a lot of intangibles that happen when they're on the pitch. And I don't know, I really hope we get to see her in one of these games. I don't know if, um, if they put that on, you know, a rookie in that early of a position, but um, I'd love to see her in a competitive match at some point, because I do think that she could really be, be someone good to um, just kind of round that out. And especially, you know, if there's a situation where, Aaron is out and Ashland's called up or something like that. I mean, it's just important to have that position be strong at every level going all the way down. Yeah. You, you never know when you're going to need that backup keeper aside from obviously if, you know, Ashlyn Harris is, is part of the Olympic squad, but you know, mm-hmm. especially in this league, there's so much keeper talent, you know, you, you need to be, you need to be ready. Well, I'm really looking forward to this, this weekend finally getting to see Orlando play, you know, the one team we didn't see in the challenge cup. Um, but also that, you know, some different names, it's been a year since we've seen Orlando. Um, I, I really enjoyed last year talking to Mark Skinner whenever, whenever I was prepping for a broadcast call and just like it, how he talked about scouting and player development mm-hmm. and his incredible enthusiasm. And so like, I, I think we've seen it in the past, like second year coaches in NWSL, you see them that, that, that they've had such a learning curve that first year. And then you, you start them, you start to see them really find their groove. Right. So I'm, I'm really interesting, really interested to see Mark Skinner. This groove <laughs> looks like. Well, Julia, thank you so much for taking the time and keep up uh, the good work, um, you know, covering the pride because we just need lots more coverage like that. Thank you so much. Yeah, happy, happy to keep doing it. I really do enjoy covering this team and I'm just so excited to see them on the pitch again. I really can't wait. 
time for a little gensplaining. Today's topic, the Verizon Community Shield. And you're thinking, what is that? Don't we already have a shield? Yeah, the NWSL Shield represents the team with the best record in the NWSL regular season. Of course, 2020 has been anything but regular. And of course, the fall series, uh, it's not a tournament. Uh, there's not going to be a knockout round. Um, so it's more a series, which they're, called, they're calling it the fall series. Uh but the prize is the Verizon Community Shield. Verizon has stepped up to sponsor this. And the idea is whichever team ends the tournament with the most points at the end of the fall series, they are the winner of the Verizon Community Shield, which means they get to present a grant of $25,000 to their community partner, whoever they've chosen, any small business in their community. And $15,000 will be the award for the second place team, $10,000 for the third place team. This is a way for the league, Curtis of of Verizon, to give back to small businesses as the league was a recipient of a small business administration loan earlier this season to keep the paychecks flowing to all the players. So very cool. Um, Of course, with each team only playing four teams, we know having seen the first round of the tournament this summer, uh, you're going to need tiebreakers, right? So slightly different tiebreakers this time around. Um, especially since you only have two opponents. So it's unlikely that you can't really use head to head since you're only playing two other teams. So teams tied on points, right? And they really only care about first, second and third. Uh, it doesn't matter for the rest of the standings, but the first tiebreaker is goal differential, very traditional tiebreaker there. Then total goals scored, then total shutouts earned. I like this. It's a very different kind of tiebreaker. You I don't think I've ever seen this in soccer before. Um, And keep in mind, we've had no shutouts so far, first three games of the fall series. Then the next tiebreaker is fair play points or yellow card, red card accumulation, however you want to call it. But bottom line, it's a point system. So each time a player gets a yellow, one point for their team. If they get two yellows in the same game, that player accumulates three points for her team. Straight red, four points. Yellow followed by a straight red is five points. So you basically look at a team's yellow and red card history for the fall series. You add up all those points. If you have two teams tied on all the other tiebreakers, whichever team has the least amount of yellow and red card points wins the tiebreaker. And it's important to note that if everything's still tied after that, say you have two teams tied for third place on all the tiebreakers, um, then they're just going to let the team share uh, the Verizon Community Shield or the second place prize or the third place prize. So really cool idea. Really nice job by Verizon to get involved. And I like that there's there's a title to be won. It's not really a trophy. It's not a cup. You know, it's not like Challenge Cup, it's not like winning the championship game, but it still has meaning, much like the NWSL Shield represents whoever had the best record in the regular season. So that's it for this week's Gensplainer. If you ever have a question or topic you want covered in the Gensplainer, just send me an email, keeper at keepernotes.com. Right, Jen Cooper, the keeper with Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, one of my favorite, let's say, East Coast 
Woso pals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're 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 you get to be in that quadrant, JT. There's a lot know, of us in this like... neck of the woods, is the thing. So. <laughs> well, but we'll I, I'll, but I I'll had... take it. Thank you. I had to reach out after, you know, you got to break the news, uh, at least stateside, about Kristen Press, Tobin Heath heading over to Manchester United. Um, tell me, tell me how that happened. That's to my knowledge. I, well, I mean, Dan Loletta, and by the way, before I speak of Dan Loletta, before I go all the way in on this, congratulations on 300 shows. Um, oh, and, thank you. And this is a, a heck of a show to be on with everybody else who's on it. Um, so Dan, you know, broke that they were talking on what, August 19th, I think it was. Yeah. And I had gotten wind of NBC doing the deal with the FAWSL that they have obviously since announced and started executing. And I was doing a piece on, you know, here are all the players who play in the league that you've heard of. And this is going to go very much sort of into the weeds on how journalism works for listeners. Um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, great. If not, I don't blame you, but you know, um, <laughs> it's important to say, so, so I'm writing this piece on, well, you know, here's who you've heard of at Chelsea and Arsenal and Man City. And, and Oh, by the way, it's been reported that Manchester United were in negotiations with Tobin Heath and Kristen press. And I figured, you know what? I know a couple people involved in this. I'm going to make a few phone calls, see if it's still happening. And so I make a couple phone calls and it's still happening. And I said, yeah, it's going to get announced in a couple of days. Or I was told it's going to get announced in a couple of days. So I was, I snuck it into my TV piece that was going to probably get announced in a couple of days. And uh, of course it, it, you know, took off like, like wildfire on Twitter. Like wildfire is a bad thing to say right now, isn't it? It took off like a, <laughs> like a, something going very fast. Take like hotcakes. It yes, sold hot like hotcakes hot on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, off it went. Of course, because all of us who are in the women's soccer world look at this and say, it's Tobin Heath, it's Kristen Press, it's two of the biggest stars in women's football, and it's Manchester United, one of the biggest brands yeah. in the game, period, stepping up with its women's team. So I go on Finally. Google News the next day just to see who else was writing about it. And I'm it. I'm like, that's odd. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, look, and I, I, I know you have scolded me on this show before for talking about men's football, but <laughs> um, look there, especially in Europe, you know, how many websites are there out there that aggregate transfer rumors all the time and, and build stuff up and this and that, even before the English tabloids start getting involved. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, that's a fair point. There's nothing except my piece. And then like the next day or the end of the one full day, the SB Nation Manchester United site picks it up. And I was surprised. It's I said, you know, given all the pieces of play here. So I wait a couple of days and it gets to be heading toward the weekend when the league is going to kick off. And they hadn't announced it yet. And I make another round of calls and, and texts and so on and find out that the deal is done. Not announced yet, you know, and obviously it wasn't announced for a while after I broke it right. and got a bajillion questions about why. And the answer is because the world's bleeped up. Um, 
<laughs> That's the answer. That is the answer. It is not easy to fly into the United Kingdom from the United States right now. That is the answer. Right. Right. But still, the deal was done. I said, can I say the deal is done? I was told, yes, you can say it. So off I went. And wrote a story and wrote the headline and hit all the little SEO buttons behind the scenes, you know, and everything else to, to you know, dress it up, publish the story. And again, off it went, kaboom, on Twitter, which I knew it was going to do because I've been around, obviously, as, as you and I have and a lot of listeners have. We know how this stuff goes, especially with these two players. Yes. But still, nothing. It's not nothing. The the England the reporters in England who I know who work for the papers and the mainstream outlets and so on they all retweeted it. They all saw it. But in terms of the number of individual stories that were written headlines that would get into Google News and stuff, still very little. And then a couple of days later, somebody tipped Sky off, and. You know, said Sky, it was, you know, Sky understands. And then it starts percolating further, and then they finally announce it and sign it, so on. And and I, I said some things on Twitter about how surprised I was that it was not getting picked up in a lot of other places. Because I'm not in Portland or Salt Lake City or, you know, you will say that I'm wrong in what I'm about to say. I'm not one of the big national writers of the NWSL and on the club game. I'm just not. I don't get I don't get as many of the big stories as other outlets do. And right. people took that as me sort of throwing them under the bus and like, you know, why didn't they get the story? And that was not my intent. It was simply to say that The way things normally work in the media, in all sports, stuff stuff gets reported either by national outlets or the local papers of the teams involved. Not just soccer, but across the board. Right. And I didn't really check any of those boxes on this story. I just happened to be poking my head around and found some things out. And what it really meant to me is that I, I look, am I very happy that I broke the story? Of course I am. Am I happy with the traffic? Of course I am. But as someone who cares a lot about the women's soccer media ecosystem, this was further proof that there's not enough of it. And right. that's all. No, I was and and to that's say. an excellent. That that's an excellent point. And and also that even after you broke it, it seemed to take no traction whatsoever in the UK. And it, it, you know, do I necessarily expect Sky Sports and the Daily Mail to be reading my stuff? No. But if I float something about a European club chasing a, you know, a Philadelphia Union player, um, that gets it'll, picked it'll up. It'll get picked up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's all I meant. And I think people who follow me on social media know that I am even sometimes to my detriment in terms of the way people who are not involved in soccer perceive it, (laughs) you know, retweeting and supporting competitors and rivals in journalism. Right. You just want to let people know it's like, here's all the coverage that you can get. I'm the same way. And these people are not just my colleagues and they're my friends. But, if you know, if we're 
if we're competing on something, then usually we know it and we're not going to share things behind the scenes. And we understand that. But relative to baseball and American football and the NBA and stuff like that, there's not in the American soccer media. Maybe it's because a, there's not many of us and B most of it don't get paid enough. Um, there's not, there's competition, but not quite the same competitive streaks, you know? Yeah. Does that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, right now we're, we're still just trying to grow coverage, right? Like, like we're dreaming of when there will be intense competitive streaks. Dreaming of when we'll have a travel budget again, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's talk about what it means for Kristen Press and Tobin Heath to head man to head to Manchester United, followed by the news that broke last week of Alex Morgan heading to Tottenham and of course joining two of their teammates, Samantha Mewis and Rose Lavelle, who already moved over to WSL. Uh, to play for Man City. So, so what do you take from from those five national teamers heading abroad? Well, the number one thing I take is that City United and Spurs are going to sell a lot of shirts. <laughs> I, you know, they're going to be better soccer teams too, but they're going to sell a lot of shirts. And that, by the way, goes back to, I don't know whether anybody in Manchester was trying to keep a lid on it or, or keep it, you know, whatever. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. But City's PR operation was all over the whole process when Mewis and Lavelle went over there, and they were ready out of the gate. And we know this. This goes into what I'm going to say next. The NWSL is not going to go away. We know that. But I am, believe it or not, a little more of a pessimist about these moves than you might expect for somebody who's been in the women's soccer media for a long time. And there's a couple okay. of reasons why. The first one pertaining specifically to these players is something that I've had in mind ever since Carly Lloyd went over to Man City. Where the thing that she was most impressed by was not so much the quality of the games, but the quality of the training environment, the facilities, you know, just the ability to just be a football player over there that you don't really have in the United States because the training facilities and the salaries are not what they are at the big clubs in Europe. Well, even and if you throw point, out the salary, still, still just the resources, right. right? You could be, you could be the lowest paid player and you still have access to these incredible resources every day, at, all day. At some point, somebody and I'm not going to put a name on it because I don't know. Look, I'm thinking about, I'm fine. I'm thinking about Sam Ewis most of all with this. But I don't know her well enough to speak for her, and I don't mean to speak for her. Somebody at some point is going to say, it's better over here than it is in the NWSL. I want to stay. And the NWSL needs to be ready for that and not get caught unprepared. And the way to fix that, the number one way to fix that is not with the U.S. national team CBA, frankly. It's by upping the ante and spending more on facilities and infrastructure and all of these other things. 
And obviously, more than anything else, it's about spending more money on player salaries. I, w- I was going to say, I mean, I-, I would see players heading over to Europe with lesser facilities, even if the pay was more. Well, and here's, right. here's the I know it's, here's, it's, it's like you it, it it's not just about facilities. I mean, we right. had Megan, we had Megan Rapino playing for Leon back in 2013 and 14, you know, and you know what she was bringing bringing home monthly for Leon, right. you know, did not compare to what her equivalent salary, you know, was over over here, and and I think this issue speaks to the the, the larger issue that I think the league has had on its shoulders for the last couple of years, and it, it's going to be a hard thing to, to to break away from. But it's like we need to move away from the allocated player, you know, paid by U.S. Soccer but playing for this team, where you know it's like the team has no control over that player coming and going. Uh, that team gets nothing if the player leaves um and and, you know moving to a a a more authentic kind of contract environment and that's not something that can happen overnight and and it's going to have serious growing pains but i think that's that's where we eventually have have to head to so that any any national team or you have you know it's it's like you actually have them on contract they're not contracted to u.s soccer we we gotta we gotta emphasize the growing pains part. Yeah, because somebody's gonna say I don't want to spend that much money, and we're gonna have to say goodbye. Right, right, and, and that it. I'm actually like I'm not as worried about the American players whether they whenever the CBA ends up getting finally changed. And the central contracts are done away with. That we know that's going to happen eventually. It's happening. What is it? At one or two a year now, you know? Right, right. That's going to happen. I'm more worried about because also the the American players, if they want to play in the United States, they're going to play in the United States. If if you're Carly Lloyd and you want to play in New Jersey, you're going to find a way to do that. If you're Julie Ertz and you want to play within a short relatively short distance of your husband though her husband is in his contract year um and that's a big talking point over here at the moment um you'll find you know the big american players they'll find a way if they want to play in the united states they will i am more worried about the international players and the nwsl's ability to compete for international players and bring them in and retain them and right now they're not doing that and obviously the pandemic is a major reason why. But after yeah, the pandemic, I, it's going to come down to straight cash, I think. Well, well, I, I think they've already solved most of that problem by adding allocation money, right? You know, we, we knew that Utah was was trying to do a deal with Buhati and Maroshan, right? Pre, pre-pandemic, you know, we've... We've we've seen some more names um, being thrown about. They just didn't get didn't get the chance to come over. And just with Orlando's signings again, who we didn't get to see um, this summer, and most of whom we won't see because you know because they needed the the games. They 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 went out on loan, but you know that that they were able to pick up Jade Moore, Ali Riley, you know, et cetera. It's like clearly. You, you've got some teams that are starting to look abroad and they've got the freedom with the allocation money 
that they've never had before. And just so everyone understands is what like each team was allowed up to $300,000 of allocation money, which you can use to buy a salary, uh, buy stuff <laughs> and you buy can a, even trade. Right. I, so, I, so we've I seen almost we, had something impolite. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so we can, um, players can actually teams can actually trade that you know so we've seen some recent trades like the Vasconcelos trade Chicago sending her to her home state of Utah that involved allocation money right which I think in a way is ultimately more valuable uh than the lower draft picks right because you can get something concrete with with you know it, 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 it depends on the year and it depends on the pick, right? Like you could pick a player and they decide not to play, right? But, it, but if you, you can use cold, hard cash for, for many things. But that's, that's getting off topic. What I really well, want to talk I want to, what I, I want to counter one thing on. Bit okay. of that. I'm aiming higher than Jade Moore with all due respect to Jade Moore. I'm aiming at the Marajan, Miedema, Hagerberg, Bernard level of player how do you right. get them into well, this league well utah was working on getting them into this league so i i don't think your argument holds up when utah was negotiating with maroshan one of the best players in the game right now yeah, i just but, want to see it for more than one know. or two clubs i'm i'm right but I'm you, a, you can't you know. you, yeah you can't judge this year like like if right. none of that had even started and there'd been no rumors of that i think that would be concerning but you know no knowing that there, there can be no discussion of any foreigner, you know, coming over, um, especially with um, uh, the international calendar in flux, right? Like, you know, that's that's why, like, you know, totally makes sense that Rachel Daly is over in England right now because if she's going to do the England camp, she can't be flying back and forth without hitting quarantine left and right. I think that's what's yeah. going to be challenging um, to to every league. And, and I think for the, the U S women, one of the reasons this opportunity um, is so perfect for them is they know there's no national team camps, you know, likely until January, there's very likely no games until March because, you know, we do have to keep, keep it out there that U S soccer has preferred for the last several years they want their players domestically because then they can call them in regardless of whether or not it's a FIFA window. If they're playing abroad, they can't control what those clubs do. And if it's not a FIFA window, they can't recall those players for camp. So if I'm Rose Lavelle, if I'm Sam Mewis, this is the perfect time to go get that opportunity, go get that coin, go play against players that I don't play against very often in a whole new, you know, you know, Rose Lavelle's never been away from home, right? In in that way, playing in right. a club. Same same for Sam Musit, Sam Mewis. Great growing opportunity, and she could still end up, you know, coming back. And there, there's still so much question mark at, at the at the tail end of of all their contracts because you know we've got the Olympics next summer. You know, expansion oh. on the horizon. So many, so many questions. But I think what a when some fans are, I think are, are panicking, it's like, no, this is the perfect time for them to go because they're not going to run into the, no, U.S. soccer wants me back. No, I have to go back. You know, it's, it's like, this is, this is a great time to jump in. I, I just wonder if it cracked open another door besides that one. 
And that's well, I've sort of alluded. I, to I agree with that because it's and you and I both work in. We're both in television and branding circles and all that other stuff. And we know that Manchester United, Tottenham, Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Everton, etc. are bigger deals in this country than any American club team. And the smart clubs in England know how big they are in the United States and how much of an opportunity it is to further their leverage over here in selling shirts and media exposure and so on. And I kind of wonder from time to time with the apologies, by the way, for the sound effects of city life in the background. Um, (laughs) Okay. I kind of wonder whether the sorts of people who won't watch American soccer, except for the NWSL and the U S women, but they'll watch every game of the premier league because they think it's the greatest soccer ever created in history. Whether they might now say, hey, I'm not going to watch the American Women's League either because the English League is better in their mind. I, 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 th- I think you're going into a deep dive because one, one you uh, combined people who watched U.S. soccer and NWSL, and that niche right there is, is pretty small. You have people, no, I know you have people, people that- who are involved in both the Premier League and the NWSL at the same time. No, 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 no. What I'm saying when you when you said I they watch the U.S. women and NWSL, I'm saying that group is pretty small. No. There, there's people that watch only the U.S. women, right? That yes. don't watch the NWSL. So I'm saying right. those people, those people will, you know, watch watch FAWSL. But I also feel rising tide lifts all boats. It did better. <laughs> and again, the end. The end. And I, I am. Jen, you've known me for long enough. Long, a lot of your listeners have known me for long enough. I am amply scarred from the debates over the years with Euro snobs on the men's side. And I have always been somebody who says, okay, you can't go to Manchester or London every weekend, but you can go to BBVA Stadium or, you know, Red Bull Arena or Subaru Park down the road from where I am or whatever and support your local team. And of course they don't want to do that because they'd rather sit on their couch on Saturday morning and right, watch English right. soccer. But that, that, I'm very scarred that, by that. But right. But that concern is not that concern, Jonathan, is not mine right now. My concern is more what does these players moving mean for NWSL and the US national team? Right? Because, and we haven't gotten to this point yet, um, I feel like this kind of break was inevitable when we've gone through the last two World Cup cycles where it was absolutely clear to all of these players that they had to play in the U.S. and there was no choice about it, you know, and for some of it, right. And, and now we're getting to, we're, you know, new coach, you know, new era, um, a lot of those players from those last two championships, you know, um, aging out in, in, in that, like, hey, they have a limited opportunity. I think, you know, Tobin Heath, Kristen Press don't have too many more years where they could command, you know, something from from the FAWSL, you know, Rose, Sam are, are, are a different thing. Um and like I said, breaking up what's what's been in the in the NWSL, it's like 
this was inevitable regardless of, of covid it just happened this way because right. of covid and i think it's the kind of thing that long term will make um the national team that much stronger right and and i've i felt for a long time it's like wait a minute if if our whole system is based on you know we have an advantage because we can call in our players when other teams can't it's, it's like you know it's like you can't sustain that Right. Uh, like to me, it's the same thing as, as, as people who would worry if we don't win the World Cup, what happens to NWSL? I'm like, if the business model of NWSL is predicated on winning the World Cup every four years, that's not a very strong business model. Right. right. But right. but but like show, showing more and more players. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited about the, the fall series was we're seeing some players that we know are good players. We've just never had the chance to see them. Right. Like like making more stars and as we've seen the last few years building up that pool so you do have someone like a Jess McDonald coming up a Lynn Williams coming up and Emily Sonnet coming up who so unlike her U.S. national teammates you know not not going to FAWSL she's on loan in Sweden and I I think we should add that for those national teamers in, in England, they can do that because they play so often for the national team. I think a lot of people thought, oh, everyone's going to go over there. It's, it's like, no, the UK work permit restrictions are pretty fierce. So unless you've had a certain number of caps for your national team, you're not getting that contract unless you have some kind of, you know, British parent or grandparent or some other connection. Yeah, and I, I, you know, you mentioned... I, I do think it is going to make the national team better. And I actually think that at some point in the future, the FA is going to regret letting Sam Mewis into the country because this is really going to make her even better than she already is. Um, <laughs> the, I like that. The, but the, I'm more concerned about the NWSL, I admit, because the ante has been upped here. And I have written this, and Meg Linehan has written it, and we've all said it. The ante has been up here for the NWSL. And we're all waiting for them to come to the table with their new hand. And the implication is they're going to come to the table with their new hand, right? Well, we're waiting. And it's all happening right now, so it's not like the NWSL is going to announce tomorrow that it's doubling all the salaries. I get that. But but it's they got, can it, announce there, that. There they they can announce that, Jonathan, and it wouldn't matter because these it wouldn't affect these national teamers at all. Sure, right, but it it I just want to make sure and I you know all right. Well, we then do, heard do, the do me a yet. favor. And I'm not. Do me a favor I'm, because yeah. you're a professional journalist and you're ah, a good researcher. I, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for somebody to write the article showing um, how NWSL pay, uh, like now compared to five years ago when they had amateur players coming in. Yes. And now they don't. Now, if you come in, you're on that minimum salary. Even the supplemental players get the minimum salary. You know, the housing stipend, the insurance, all that stuff that if you annualize it, you know, your minimum salary is over $40,000 a year. I I just... I'm waiting for that article. Yeah. I don't blame you. 
but I'm not, I, you know, the sponsorship revenue is coming in now. There's some broadcast revenue coming in now. We just lost I, all of the, the, the game and merch revenue it, from, right. from home the, games the incumbency. Year. I don't even put on the commissioner per se. I put it on the club owners. And yes, there are some that I think are going to be willing to the up to up the ante. And there are some that I think are not. And there's going to have to be a reckoning when the time comes because the names on the front of those shirts in England have a multiplier effect. Naturally. Yeah. I think. Um and the name look, the names on the multiple on the front of the shirts in Mexico have a multiplier effect too for no small number of people. Well, and that's where I think broadcast is, is key. And for the first time, I feel like the league has a broadcast partner that has a built-in network of exposure, right? Like, you know, I was involved in the lifetime broadcast. They sunk serious money into it. We all remember how high quality those, those broadcasts were, but what you didn't have was the natural extension to, um, you know, channels with a sports ticker at the bottom. I was about to say a certain, a certain Uh, channel down the dial. Yeah. um, um, Regular sports shows that are talking about it an affiliated website that that's writing about it. And I think that like, that's going to be such a key piece. And we're only starting to see uh, the, you know, just the tip of the iceberg on that. I, I was, I have spoken on a few occasions. I was going to call them your CBS colleagues. And I realized I'm not sure. Technically, they are your CBS <laughs> colleagues, are they? Um, I'm always a contractor, so. Right. Um, no, they know what they've got here. And the putting, what, five games on the big network out of the fall series is a huge endorsement. Huge. Um, and they are hiring people right now. They've hired Sandra Herrera. They've hired Luis Miguel Echegaray. They've got a posting up for an editor job at the moment. Um. And I, as somebody who has known a lot of people at CVS, CVS for a long time, because I cover college basketball in addition to soccer, and I've had conversations with all the way up to Sean McManus over the years about, hey, you guys ever dip your toe into soccer, let me know. Um, I'd be happy to write about it and point you guys in the right direction. And out of absolutely nowhere, boy, are they going in the right direction all of a sudden. That's all been in what the last eight, nine, ten months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many big changes since since the World Cup, and um, you know, I, I also want to throw in you know one thing we're talking about upping the salaries. I think uh, everyone's making a lot of assumptions about how much European players get paid. The bulk of them get paid less than what NWSL players get paid. Um, so unless you are a Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle, Alex Morgan, et cetera, unless you're at one of those four or five, six top clubs in England or Leon or PSG, you are not bringing home the big bucks. So I, I, I don't want to ever say they just need to double salaries because no, for a lot of players, they're making more money here than they could make abroad. And if yeah. you're someone who hasn't cracked into the national team, you're not going to get seen playing in Serie A or playing in Denmark or playing in Sweden because those games won't be televised, right? 
where if you are trying to crack into the national team here, you do want to be an NWSL because that's how Vlaka is going to see you. Just like, you know, we saw him, he was at every single one of the Challenge Cup games except the final, you know, um, and I'm sure he'll be watching all of the, the oh, fall sure. series sure. Ga- game, games closely. So I guess, I guess our, our closing thought is that we're at such a fascinating time in the history of women's soccer where all of these changes that we've seen just since the Women's World Cup last summer, so much growth, so much change, so much movement. We've got then the whole monkey wrench of the pandemic thrown in um, and then the new leadership for U.S. soccer with Kate Marcraft, Vlaka Nanaski. We're seeing a lot of changes in how things are run and a new commissioner in NWSL. So, you know, you and I can come back to this for, you know, Mixed Zone episode number 400 and, and, yeah. and, see, and see how we did. Here, here's hoping. <laughs> it would be great if we can do that. And it would be great if by then... You know, it's not just the American players, but there's an ability to bring in French and Dutch and Spanish and right. You know, hopefully the next right. generation of Brazilian and Argentine players and so on. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much for taking the time to to argue women's soccer with me. I always like <laughs> it when 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 someone actually has a counterpoint and it's not all of a you know kind of rah rah kind of thing and and thanks for all your great work either covering the game or shining a light on others who cover the game always appreciated it's, it's my pleasure thank you for all the great work that you do congrats again on the milestone show and arguing about women's soccer who thought it All right, I'm sneaking in a little giveaway in the middle of this special 300th episode of the Mix Zone. Uh, so, first three listeners to email keeper at keepernotes.com with the names of the two NWSL players, current NWSL players, who are within six games of earning their 300th international cap get a free PDF copy of the current NWSL Almanac. I'll say that again. First three listeners to email keeper at keepernotes.com with the name of the two current NWSL players who are so close to earning their 300th international cap, get a free PDF copy of my NWSL Almanac. Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the final chat of the 300th episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, which kind of blows my mind. So, of course, I have to finish this episode with my partner in crankiness, especially Woso crankiness, Dan LaLetta from Equalizer Soccer. Dan, are you feeling cranky? Oh, always feeling cranky. This is like the Pierce Lilly episode, right? 300? 300 yes. caps, 300 yes. episodes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think you told me I, before we started record, recording not to mention the national team, so I blew that right away for you. <laughs> well, and I figure just like Christine Lilly, I can retire after 354. So there you go. No, we got to go one more. Oh, one more. 355. You're right. You're right. You're totally right. So I wanted to talk with you mostly about 
end of yourself fall series, right? Like we had a great recap chat after the challenge cup wrapped up. Um, and this is, you know, the next phase for end of yourself, kind of an awkward teenager phase. I was, I was talking with Julia Poe earlier about, you know, that we feel like that end of yourself has graduated from middle school. We're kind of like freshmen in high school We're you know, uh, as the league lasts longer, you know, new commissioner, new TV deal, a very challenging year, but yeah, this kind of feels like that awkward phase. And at first I have to say, I'm so glad we're having these games um you know i've heard several coaches talk about how you can't just have practice right there needs to be something at the end of it um and not just because orlando didn't get to play this summer but i think with expansion on the horizon it's so important uh to see all these players again right everybody's playing for their future whether it's to secure a contract, re-up a contract, look really good for expansion, use the minutes to get a contract abroad. I just, I think this fall series is so crucial, but tell me what you think. Well, I have mixed feelings about it from a personal level. I agree with everything you just said about why it's important to have these games. It's also important because people are willing to put up money to broadcast the games and the teams are willing to put up money to travel their players around and to pay players and to pay players that aren't really on their roster. So you don't turn a blind eye to those things when you are basically otherwise going to go from, what was it, July 25th, something around there was the final of the Challenge Cup into February and March. And, you know, for being honest, we don't know exactly what things are going to look like in February and March. I am almost positive there will be an NWSL preseason. Whether teams can play in front of fans and whatnot is another story and and for another conversation. But yeah, I mean, personally, um, you know, I am a very big sports fan way beyond women's soccer. There's an awful lot of sports going on. It's hard for me to get motivated to watch, um, you know, to turn on Twitch. No offense to anybody who might have broadcast that game, but, you know, it's hard to get motivated to watch you know, the spirit and the red stars on a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, especially, you know, there are a lot of the top players aren't there and it's a great opportunity to watch some players, you know, who don't get a lot of opportunity. But, you know, what I think about is remember double USA, the, the old money pit league. So you want to be careful what things you emulate. But after that first season, every single team got together and had a quote-unquote fall camp or a winter camp, whatever it was, an off-season camp. And if you remember right. after 9-11, there was the Unity Games where D.C. United played the then Metro Stars in a home and away, and the Freedom and Power joined in and played that. And Tiffany Milbert, yeah. by the way, scored one of the most incredible goals I've ever seen in that um, Unity Game series. So, you know what? Maybe this is something that happens down the road where you don't expect – your top players to be there, but maybe it's an opportunity for teams to, you know, sell themselves and build their brand. other way, build their brand a little bit and get let players like Sarah Lubert come in and, and score your first professional goal. And, uh, you know, they're, just, they're officially playing for this community shield or what have you, which will be weird because they're probably come down to a tiebreaker among teams that don't even play. And maybe you need that. Maybe you don't need that, but, you know, maybe just like we said at the Challenge Cup, hey, this is a blueprint for like a women's open cup. You know, maybe before we get to where it's a 36 game season that goes from February to November or December, maybe this is something, right. you know, that we can tack on 
to future seasons. You know, we'll have to obviously have to see, you know, what the finances are and how many people are watching the streams and the CBS games and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think it's a, you know, and it, this is, this was a scenario that could have, and maybe still, but I don't think so, kill this league. And this is more proof. You know, you, you know when you're, when you're in that spot, you got to say, Hey, here we are. And that's what the league has done a really good job of since, since uh, the quarantine period started back in March. And to have a partner already on board, like, like CBS, where, you know, that wasn't quite the same with WSA or even WPS. And, and I'm so glad you brought up um, the, that unity game series. Cause that makes me think, of course, my, my first foray into working in soccer, which was hosting two WSA exhibition games in Houston. One was a postseason, one was a preseason you're not guaranteed to get their all of their roster, but the cool thing was we mostly did. Uh, really, the only exceptions were like international players who had already left or hadn't arrived yet. Um, but the idea was um, was bringing the league to new communities that didn't have um, you know teams yet to kind of test the markets you know, build the brand, expose the league, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we've, we've started to see a little bit in preseason games being played elsewhere. Right. Um, but we haven't seen a lot of it because it, it does seem like they're limited when they actually have players with them. Right. Because we, we go back 20 years ago, the FIFA calendar wasn't as, as crowded for women, wasn't as structured. So yeah, these players were with their teams and in their markets almost year round, you know, now it's a very different kind of beast, but I do like the idea of these games and possibly other games, you know, building the brand, exposing the league, um, testing out um, new formats. Like, I, I, I think the idea of a Verizon Community Shield, it's, it's really nice so that there, there's some meaning for these games beyond the individual games. Like, we know these players. Every freaking game they play means something. We saw that pretty clearly in Houston, North Carolina, um, you know, and a red card in both games um, um, Saturday. But I like that there's an extra element to it. And it's not something that competes with NWSL Shield, which is, you know, regular season title. It's not the same as the Challenge Cup trophy or winning the NWSL, you know, championship game. But it's another it's another element, right? And they got a sponsor for it, Verizon, um, you know, whichever team wins the trophy or even they're going to allow it to be tied if, if it goes through four tiebreakers and still is still tied, right? So there's no coin toss or something silly <laughs> like that, you know? Um, the, it's like, that's, that's a neat element, right? And the winning team or teams get to actually give back to a partner in their community, right? Which then that's, that's some natural PR right there. So I I like it. I I like that there's some flexibility for signing additional players, right? Especially when you think of all the lost opportunity for fringe players and draftees this year. Um, You think of what there were probably a good 50 to 70 players who were preseason trialists, not including draftees, just straight on invited into preseason in March, who three days in, everything shut down, right? Some of them back in June, right? And maybe get a short-term contract 
contract, right? And how and here is is now another opportunity. But it, it makes me think a little bit of 2018 when um, because of Boston Breakers folding, suddenly 20 some roster spots were gone and it meant if you were on the fringes you had no shot right like the players that got absorbed by other teams basically took the spots that would have gone to new players you know for for those teams so yeah and the draft class that year was was weak and i don't think the draft has recovered since then to be honest because of the one well and i don't don't think it you know it, it was a weaker draft but still there's the reason so few players from that year even got on was because boom, there's 20 plus roster spots gone, right? Like yep. it, and it was already pretty, pretty hard to break in. And I'm sure that at some point next year, or the year after somebody will make a pretty good name for themselves by having thrived in the fall series. But I'll give you the flip side of that. You there, I'm sure are players who have or will appear in the fall series that might never appear in any other game their entire lives. And that'll give those players an opportunity to say, hey, I played a game for the Chicago Red Stars. I played a game for the Portland Thorns. It might not have been a game that counted in the standings of an official season, but I suited up, they paid me, and I got into a game. I'm in the box score. You can check it out. So it's a really cool experience in that regard also. And then you look at, like, Paul Riley, as as an example, going with the three-back, and it sounded like he told the CBS broadcast team that he'd go with the three-back throughout the Challenge Cup, which, I'm sorry, the Fall Series, which will be interesting because I thought it it didn't work very well, so we'll see if he sticks with it. But, you know, he's basically saying, hey, I've got these four games. Yeah, we want to win, and they certainly played like they want to win, but he doesn't have a good bit of his personnel. Let's try something new. So, you know, that's something else that'll, that'll be a big deal. And, you know, other coaches, I'm sure, are playing it differently because they're trying to build culture, whereas the Courage have their culture. They're just trying to tweak and see what happens down the road with expansion and some other changes coming. Yeah, it's it's an important time. And I think one of the things I, I tried to clarify uh, on the broadcast last Saturday, it's like these games count. They just don't count as regular season or Challenge Cup, right? These are different from a preseason game where none of those stats go into effect, right? That doesn't count towards right. any Well, total, you had tweeted, you know, right, right before the Challenge Cup started, you had tweeted that the stats wouldn't count. And I, I assume that you sent a quick tweet because you were, it was like right up against like the game starting and you were busy and people jumped all over like, oh my God, they have to count because, you know, no, they're no, working so hard, blah, blah, but they, was, they count. They just don't count towards the regular to season. I remember but, replying to somebody who who said it's not fair that these don't count because Jen Hildreth had said something on the very right, first that, game. Right, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah, but they, and they I and count. I replied, they, they count. Yeah, they count. It's a different category. So, like, I've already started working on the next NWSL Almanac, and so now there's a line for cup, you know, and then I'll add a line for fall series right well, and but then those, you can those, use that the great expression that really only applied to men's soccer up until now or maybe the european leagues all competitions exactly exactly like you look at any european uh wikipedia page you can see her you know fawsl goals her champions league goals her fa cup goals right they're all separate categories and the bottom is across all competitions right exactly. like exactly 
Yeah, like we've entered this whole new territory. Again, this, you know, we just entered high school here. So we finally, you know, we finally were like driving ourselves to school, right? Like, you know, mom's not packing our lunch anymore. We're doing it ourselves. We're entering that world of loans, transfers, multiple competitions. Um, You know, it's, it's, just the natural growth of the league, I believe. And we're in, and we're entering the phase where things can go wrong, and you don't have to be like, "So oh, is the league folding?" Right? Remember in the early stages yeah. of when we would go to the finals, and certainly in WPS, like all the like after hours at the local bar conversation would be like, "Is this team folding? Did you hear the league is this and that?" And now when you go to these things, people actually talk about like how the teams are doing and who's going to win the game and why they're going to win the game and who would be a good fit, what a good trade would be. It's not perfect. Of course, you you mentioned the breakers and, you know, other teams are, you know, far from out of the woods to where I would guarantee you they're going to be around in 10, 15 years. But, you know, the entire, like the entire way that you kind of just carry yourself when you're around league, you know, when you're at a league event, I think is way different than it was even four or five years ago. Well, and, and think about, you know, MLS in their 25th season, we go back to when they were in themselves age and it's very similar, right? Just a few years prior, they had cut two teams and they were at the beginning of, you know, in their eighth, ninth season, they were the beginning of a huge spate of expansion, right? And we know we've got Louisville coming in for 2021, LA for 2022, very likely another team for 2022. And we know there's partners out there that are interested. So, you know, unlike the Boston situation where they were unable to, you know, replace that team, right? Like they had already kind of used their, their lucky star that day that when Kansas City folded, they got Utah to step up, right? Um, But we know that there's plenty of people out there. So down the line, when there is a franchise where maybe, maybe the franchise stays where it is, but an owner changes or a franchise moves or something like that. It's like, it's not catastrophic. It's just part and parcel of, of how businesses evolve, especially sport business. I mean, I mean, think of all the baseball, basketball, (laughs) you know, um, football teams that have relocated, even in, even in men's soccer, right? Not just MLS, but like Mexico, we've seen teams move, right? So it's like... We just had an NFL team just move for this year. So it does, you know, and I think there's, what, three teams have relocated in the last four years or something like that in the NFL. So, you know, different reasons, of course. It wasn't like they were unsustainable financially, but, you know, it does happen. Let me tell you something else, because you mentioned Louisville. Go back to when Christy Holly first took over Sky Blue in 2016. Look at some of the names on that roster that he did okay with. They didn't make the playoffs, and they kind of faltered down the stretch, which wasn't surprising. His first game there, he got two goals from Kelly Conheny, who hadn't played in three years, I think, and Tasha Kai, who hadn't played in five years. And they beat the Reign, who for two years literally never lost at Memorial Stadium. Right. So the point point I'm making here is that if you are a down roster player and you play well at this fall series, there's a good chance you're going to get an opportunity when Louisville goes out there. You know, it might not be in the expansion draft, but if you know, I, I think this is a gold mine for a coach like Christy Holly to to mine for some talent. I'm not suggesting that fall series stars are going to be 
the headliners, but he's got roster spots available, and I think he's – I'm sure he's scouting these games very hard, and I would not be surprised at all if some players wind up in Louisville because of what they do in the fall series. Well, and, and of course, next year remains an Olympic year, just like this year would have been an Olympic year. For now. So for we, now. we know – for now. For now. So there could be that period again where – any of the national teamers in NWSL, they're gone for 8, 10, 12 games. You know, we don't know what the what the schedule will look like over the course of 2021 yet. Um, but it's going to be national team replacement players, that there will be spots that there wouldn't have normally been in 2021. And thankfully, unlike 2015, 2016, they're paid spots, right? Yeah, and you're, you're paid the minimum salary and the minimum salary these days is so much better than it was just a few years back. As I ranted to Jonathan Tannenwald about in the previous segment. Um, I'm going to give you another uh, name. There, okay. Off that sky blue roster was Aaron Simon, undrafted rookie. I think she had a chance to go and maybe try out for Orlando and said, no, I'm a Jersey girl. I want to play for sky blue. They offered me a deal. And then she went to Europe. Never been a terribly impressive player, but one of the hardest working players that I've seen. And now she's back and has a uh, has a little trophy up to her name. Yeah, and you know, definitely fitting in well with the Dash crew. And and I always love the stories of any player that you know came in through an open tryout because. Um, you know, college soccer, not to diss on anyone who's ever been drafted, but college soccer, your stock is seems to be related so much to how you did just before you're in the draft. Um, also, have you been called up by the national team? And it also seems like it sometimes it's tied to, uh, you know, how strong your college's program is historically. So there's this bias that's built in then against smaller schools, you know, and of course you don't, you can't get into those big schools unless you are already an amazing player at like 14 or 15. Right. So it's, it's like, it's the possibility to lose, um, you know, a lost generation of, Hey, there are people that maybe they peak at 17, 18 night. They're just starting to find their form. Right. Like you, you think of Alex Morgan, who, you know, didn't really start playing club regularly till 12 was a pretty late ad for Cal Berkeley. And she only ended up on the 2008 U20 World Cup team because Tony DeChico was able to get additional funding to do one more camp before they went into qualifying. If he didn't get that funding, he doesn't see Alex Morgan and have that opportunity. Right. So like, again, what I love about the fall series is that opportunity and seeing the number of NCAA division two NAIA players, and also non big name D one players. Uh, here's two other thoughts for you. Number one, um, it probably wouldn't work in a fall series, but would we be open to having players with college eligibility allowed to play in a similar in the future in a similar setup it would have worked well this year because there're a lot of I mean basically the college season is very much in flux but number 2 and I'm going to give Charles Olney uh the props on this because it was his idea originally but who is going to be the first NWSL team to say you know what we're going to make a very small investment whatever it is, and we're going to hire one person, and that person is going to become our full-time college scout. And all they're going to do is watch college games and go to college games. How much of an edge would that team get 
on everybody else in the league come draft time, especially now that the regular season and the playoffs extend. What was it? November 14th was supposed to be the final this year. So that's basically college season over at that time. So the coaches of these NWSL teams can't possibly be watching as much college as they need to watch. Who's going to be the first team to make that investment? It seems so simple, you know, and it's an on the field investment. You know, it does not going to help your business model or whatever, unless winning really generates that much money for your club. But I think it's a really interesting idea. Who's going to be the first team to, to make that, what seems like a very simple investment. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's the, again, coming back to my analogy of, of just entering high school, right? Like there's so much talent out there right now that it seems like all the clubs are dependent on, well, who they know, who their assistant coaches know and where they're located geographically. Right. right like, which, which is able, understandable. Yeah. Which colleges they're able to see. Like, you know, you, you think about everything that Paul Riley can see in a short drive, from Cary, North Carolina. You think of everything that all the soccer that Mark Skinner can see from Orlando. I mean, Florida, so many uh, strong soccer colleges, definitely a, a, a solid place to go scouting yep. for players. And, and of course, college players playing within NWSL in friendlies or something like that, I, I would think that would probably be regulated more by NCAA than anything else, right? Um, yeah, well, yeah, it would probably depend on whether or not they were they were paid would be a big, cause when they did WPSL elite, that was a like semi pro league. And there were definitely, yeah, there were definitely players in that league that had NCAA eligibility. So I don't know exactly how that works. And anytime the NCAA is involved, it gets kind of complicated. You know, I, when I, I talked to Shay groom a couple of years ago and um, at the time, at least she was still living in Kansas city, though she wasn't, it was after the Kansas city days were over and, we were talking about Vlatko, who at the time was coaching probably the rain. And I said, do you, you know, do you, are you still in touch with him? And she said, well, every now and again, you know, if I'm in Kansas City and I go and I stop at a soccer game, you never know if Vlatko is going to be there. Like, the, you know, and it was just like the guy. And he has had, he had great success with the draft. And, you know, he's the guy that went into his interview with the FC Kansas City people with binders filled with like 300 different players he was thinking about drafting and you know he basically is just such a soccer junkie that goes to all these soccer games but be real interesting and you know what if you mind twitter you could find probably 25 people on twitter would probably do that college scouting job for free to get started i'm not saying they'd be any good at it i'm just saying they'd be they'd volunteer to do it yeah well and, and i think it's, it's, a, it's an important thing to note that the talent, talent pool is much larger than I think we give it credit for. Fans, fans give it credit for. And when, you know, you know, salaries across the rosters have been limited, limited to the last, last year, only suddenly they went back to back to back to six, six, you know, you know, six times, six times nine, 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 women i mean just division one alone there's 333 programs right so you think of all those people graduating each year and then you add all the other levels of of college soccer like there's a huge pool um so i'm glad that that you know we might see some star making during the end of yourself fall series like you said they won't necessarily be starters you know come spring 2021 
but I think there's a lot of people that are going to, you know, ink a contract for themselves or, you know, earn a spot on a Louisville roster or even an LA roster down, down the line because of the time they got here. Similar to, you know, we've seen in the past the the players that come in during the Olympic and Women's World Cup window, some of them have been able to use that game time that they, you know, it, it's actually there's video of, right? So they can use that footage to get a contract elsewhere, right? And, and now that's, that we, that's just the best part. And now that we have continuity and, you know, we're not quite there yet, but now that it is not financial suicide, shall we say, to be a bottom of the roster player for three or four years, I think you're going to see more and more Good players. Point. Good phrase. That? I like that. Good phrase. Thank it's you. not financial Thank, suicide. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to see more and more players get good when they're 27, 28 years old, just by playing in the league. You know, more more players like McCall's or Boney, you know, who was certainly good when she was in her early 20s, but really came of age later. But how many players even play that long to be McCall's or Boney? You know, like an Alyssa Motts type, she hasn't been as good as her Boney and now the back-to-back ACL injuries. But, you know, you can count those players on one hand. I think we'll get a lot more of those. Now going or, forward, that just or, take it out or Bella Bixby or Bella Bixby, who a few years ago would not still be with the Thorns three years in, having not played any NWSL Ab- games. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dan, last topic for you. Any any fun stats or notables you want to throw out uh, relative to these recent games or maybe even Challenge Cup? I mean, I just noticed today as I was prepping notes for this week, and I'm like, hey, North Carolina has had four straight home games where they've scored four goals. Wow. That's an interesting one. I have to admit you've got me put on the spot and I don't have anything prepared, (laughs) but I can defer to my friend, Jen Cooper. Um, And I think you have the exact date, but the last time the dash won a game where Rachel Daly wasn't in the lineup was what? 2016 sometime. September 11th, 2016. And I know she's, played in most of those games since then but yeah you know when she's your best player you know you I I think it will be I don't even know if anybody on that team realizes it but you know it's not unimportant to be able to win without your best player exactly and I want to be where the dash thinks they are now I think that stat is most telling for the 2019 season because 2017 and 2018, the entirety of those two years, she only missed one game. So that stat doesn't mean a lot. But 2019, she had an extended stretch and the dash didn't win if she wasn't in the lineup. Now they did pull off several draws while she was gone, but I I, I think that is, that's a telling stat for, for last year. And, And I'm sure that that's something that's that James Clarkson is thinking about. It's like, you know, you can never be reliant on one player totally. And and I even said during the broadcast, it's like, you know, Jane and Rachel are both captains. Rachel, the more vocal captain, they need someone to step up and fill that vocal void when she's not there. And Jane will set the all competitions record for consecutive minutes by a goalkeeper because apparently whatever competition they have, Jane Campbell will just play every minute of it. So <laughs> there's another nice. one for you. Nice. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to be cranky about Woso with me and positive occasionally uh, about Woso with me for this very special episode that you should watch with your parents. I want to be back for 355. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. All right.
great time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, the NWSL Fall Series continues this weekend. I have entered the full schedule into the Keeper Notes Woso calendar. That's a Google calendar. You can access it at keepernotes.com. There's a game of the week each week on either CBS or CBS Sports Network. Any game that's on CBS channel will also be on CBS All Access. All other games will air either on Twitch or CBS All Access in the USA and Canada. And every single game will air live and free on Twitch for international viewers. If you don't have CBS All Access, it's only $6 a month, includes a free trial. And I've heard that if you complain, you know, like threaten to quit uh, the service, they'll even offer you a deal. So it's totally worth it because uh, you can rewatch the games anytime. It still has all the Challenge Cup games as well as all the other CBS content. Um, that's definitely a way you want to be supporting women's soccer. That tells CBS, who has just spent mega bucks being becoming the broadcast partner for CBS, that yeah, it's worth investing in women's soccer. International viewers, you can rewatch Challenge Cup games on NWSLsoccer.com anytime. Just click on the schedule and then click on the game you want to watch and the video should auto load. Next, I know we've had a lot of player moves lately with some players on loan or opting out, players being signed to the fall series, etc. Best way to keep up, make sure you check out my Keeper Notes Google Sheet. It's bookmarked on keepernotes.com. You always want to look at that Woso Nerd Leagues page. I have the, the sheet has a page per team tracking who's where in their contract, who's on loan, who's injured, etc. If you ever see an error or you have a question, hey, don't hesitate to email me keeper at keepernotes.com. And next, uh, almanacs for sale. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but I still have NWSL almanacs that have comprehensive stats for the first seven seasons of the league. Player registry, coach registry, color photos, um, game reports for every single playoff game, streaks, records, all kinds of great stuff. It's 350 pages if you want to buy the print version. You can also just buy PDF or you can buy both. I also published this summer a Houston Dynamo. Uh, not What am I saying? Not Houston Dynamo, Houston Dash Almanac um, that's available in print. So if you want to check out either of those, I do have sneak previews linked to both of them. Again, keepernotes.com is the place you want to go. And last, not really soccer related, but kind of soccer related, giving, given all the, the social justice energy that there is around NWSL right now, vote, 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 register to vote, volunteer to help at a polling place, help others get registered, help others get to a polling place, help people learn how to vote, remind your friends, especially those of you under 30, why it's important to vote, 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 vote. All right, that's it for this episode of the Women's Soccer, the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. What am I saying? I've done 300 episodes and I'm losing my mind. But uh, got to give a big shout out to everyone who's ever supported this podcast. Started out when I was still doing a radio show at Yahoo Sports 1560 in Houston. They helped me get this started. Uh, Howler Magazine helped me take it to the next level. And now Beautiful Game Network has been a great supporter. Also got to give a shout out, of course, to Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves for their support. But most importantly, thanks to Sean and my former producer as well, PK Ray, for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl.